the only way that you can conclude that you are okay based on your own efforts before God is that you have utterly, completely, tragically misunderstood the law of God, just like Paul did. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of Caught in the Act. Throughout Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul examines the law of God and its role in the life of the unbeliever. Using his own life as an illustration, he reveals that his sin nature had promised him life if he could only keep the law. But sin deceived Paul, and it produced death instead. And that's how sin always works. Well, Paul's opponents argued that his teaching led to the conclusion that the law of God led people to sin. But as you'll be reminded today, nothing could be further from the truth. God's law is a perfect reflection of the holy character of God, and it's His holiness that we examine today. Let's join Tom now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Paul was still a sinner. That's the whole point of this entire passage. Before Christ, he was, he was still a sinner. That's not what he's talking about. But sin was relatively unnoticed and unrecognized in his life. For the most part, he was unaware of sin's presence in his life. Yes, he knew he sinned, but he had no idea of the magnitude or the depth or the depravity of his heart. Therefore, he had no fear of future punishment. Sin was dead to Paul. The second thing that was true before the commandment came, notice Paul was alive. He says at the beginning of verse 9, I was alive apart from the law. He doesn't mean spiritually alive. He was born spiritually dead just like the rest of us. In fact, he includes himself in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. So what does he mean here? Just like Paul thought that sin was dead in his life, he also thought that he was spiritually alive. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. Paul was self-satisfied, confident, congratulating himself on the wonderful way in which he was keeping the law. He felt full of life and vigor and confidence and self-assurance and power. It's what we just read in Philippians 3, verse 6, right? Concerning the law, the righteousness which is in the law, what? Blameless. Blameless. Paul was alive. He felt secure. No conviction of sin. He saw himself wrongly as a godly, spiritually-minded man. He was alive. This is the same sort of mindset that allowed the rich young ruler to say to Jesus, I have kept all the commandments from my youth up. He thought he was alive. Before Paul understood the 10th commandment, sin was dead. In other words, he was unaware of it, at least in its depth and misery in his life. And he was alive. He thought he was spiritually alive. That's before the commandment came. Now that brings us to the second part of Paul's spiritual autobiography. It's when the commandment came. Notice verse 9. 
I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came. Now, obviously, Paul isn't saying that the commandment was given during his lifetime. The law of God had been given 1,400 years before Paul was born. And there was never a time in Paul's life when he wouldn't have known the law, including the 10th commandment. He would have memorized the 10 commandments early in his life. He studied the law. He prided himself on his knowledge of the law. He he likely, as a rabbi, memorized most of the first five books of the Old Testament. He memorized the law. What Paul is describing here is when the law, specifically the Tenth Commandment about coveting, came to bear with its full force against his conscience. That's when the commandment came. It's when, not when he got the law, but when the law got him when it gripped him, when it tracked him down and he saw what it really meant, when the commandment came in all of its weight upon my conscience. Now that brings us to the third part of Paul's spiritual autobiography, and it's after the commandment came. Now notice that after Paul came to a full understanding of God's law, specifically the 10th commandment, two things happened. Verse 9, when the commandment came, one, sin became alive, and two, I died. First of all, sin became alive. He's already explained what this means back in verse 8. Sin used the law as a starting point, as a kind of base of operations to stoke his rebellion against God to threaten his autonomy, and to produce in him coveting of every kind. Before Paul understood the command not to covet, he had never fully sensed the power of sin in his own heart. But when the commandment came, when the law said, you shall not covet, he became aware of all of the sin that was already in his heart. He hadn't seen it before. But now he saw it. Sin became alive. And more than that, he also suddenly had an overwhelming desire for all kinds of things that were forbidden. Sin became alive. In other words, Paul could no longer ignore his sin. He now saw it. He now understood it. Listen, if you're a Christian, this has happened in your life. There was a time when you lived joyful, happy in your sin, thinking that everything was relatively okay. Yeah, I sinned, but I'm really not that bad. But then the Holy Spirit brought the law of God to bear on your heart. There was a time when you began to see the reality and sin sprang to life and you saw it. Notice Paul adds, not only did sin become alive after the commandment came, but verse 9 says, I died Before the law came, Paul was alive, alive in his self-confidence, in his self-righteousness, in his spiritual pride. But when the commandment came, when he understood all that God demands, even in the heart, and when the law aroused his sinful passions and produced in him coveting of every conceivable kind, Paul died. In other words, all of his self-confidence, all of his self-righteousness, All of his spiritual pride died. Leon Morris writes, To realize that we are not good and decent people in God's sight is 
a death. He goes on to say, it marks the end of self-confidence, self-satisfaction, and self-reliance. Paul died. You know what he means by that? He means that he now has become a beggar in spirit. He has now come to see himself as weak and poor and naked and helpless and blind. He has come to see, in the words of Philippians 3, that all of his righteousness that he thought he had is like refuse. We don't know when all of this unfolded in Paul's heart, but it was at some point before his conversion on the Damascus Road. The Spirit of God was at work in his heart to bring the law to bear on his conscience. And when it happened, sin sprang to life. Paul saw it everywhere in his life, and he died. Verse 10, And this commandment, which was to result in life, Wait a minute, that that should catch you up short. What do you mean? The commandment was to result in life? What that doesn't mean is that God intended that we would earn eternal life by keeping the law. Paul's already addressed that issue. Back in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, By the works of the law, that is, by my works and efforts to keep God's law, he says, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what is he saying here? The commandment which was to result in life. How was the the commandment about coveting or the Ten Commandments or the law to result in life? This way. If it were possible to keep God's law perfectly, clearly it's not. No one ever has except Jesus Christ. But if it were possible to keep God's law perfectly, then theoretically the law could result in life. This is a message of the Scripture. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. You shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 10, verse 5, where he says, Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness, shall gain life by that righteousness. Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices the commands of the law shall live by them, shall gain life by them. But if you're doubting what I'm telling you, our Lord leaves no doubt in Luke chapter 10. Look at Luke chapter 10, his interaction with the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. This is Luke 10, 25, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I earn eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Just go love God perfectly, and go love your neighbor as yourself, and you will will earn eternal life. Just to show you how impossible it is, this guy caught it right away. Verse 29, wishing to justify, he he said to Jesus, wishing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, 
So um, how do you define neighbor? What's he doing? Well, he realizes he hasn't kept these laws. He can't earn his way. But theoretically, Jesus says, if you could keep those two great commandments, you could gain eternal life. So go back to Romans chapter 7. Verse 10, this commandment, which was to result in life, if we kept it, Paul says, he didn't keep and it proved to result in death for me. Since Paul couldn't keep the 10th commandment, for that matter any of God's law, perfectly, it didn't result in his gaining eternal life, it resulted in his death. Just as he explained back in verse 9. The law showed him his sin. It showed him his failure. It showed him his evil nature and heart. It brought him to a point of utter hopelessness and helplessness. How did that happen? Verse 11. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Notice sin. Still back to our inherent sinfulness, our sin nature, used, in Paul's case, the Tenth Commandment as a base of operations and completely deceived Paul. The word that's used for deceive here is, a, is an intense word. It means completely deceive. And it does the same with us. Scripture often speaks of the deceptiveness of sin. You ever wonder why before Christ, you, there were certain things you didn't want to do. You read about the danger of them. You read about how they could damage your, your body or your soul. You knew they weren't good for you, and you wanted to stop, and you just kept doing it. How did that happen? It's the power of sin, and in some cases, the deceptiveness of sin. Sin lies to you. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord God said to Eve, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, what? deceived me, and I ate. How does sin's deception happen? What are some of the ways that our sinfulness uses the law of God itself to deceive us? Now, these are not in the notes that you'll see, so I would encourage you to jot these down. These are really important. Here are some of the ways that sin uses the law to deceive us. Number one, our sinfulness convinces us that we can keep God's law and earn eternal life. Our sinfulness does that. It says, okay, that's what God requires. I'm in. I'm good. I can do that. Go over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 31. This is what happened to Israel. Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. That's what sinfulness does. Sinfulness, our sinfulness convinces us, yep, there's God's law. I can do that. I can earn my way into God's favor. It deceives us into thinking that we can. Secondly, sin deceives us by convincing us we have kept God's law as long as we have not committed the sinful act. This is what happened with Paul. This is what happened with the Pharisees. As long as I don't do the deed, then I've kept God's law. 
That's why the 10th commandment factored so heavily into Paul's conviction. Because then he saw it was the heart that God cared about. This is how sin functions. It tells us I'm not guilty of breaking God's law. I mean, after all, I haven't committed any murder. I haven't committed adultery. Okay, Jesus says, have you ever been angry with anyone, as we saw last week? Have you ever spoken with angry words towards someone? Then you've broken God's law against murder, Jesus says in Matthew 5. Have you ever lusted after someone in your heart sexually? Then you've committed adultery in your heart. But sin deceives us into thinking that as long as we don't break that law externally in an outward act, then we've kept it. Thirdly, sin deceives us by telling us that God is denying us something good. How many times has sin come to you and said, I don't know why God doesn't allow that. That's good. That'll bring you joy. That'll bring you satisfaction. That'll make you happy. Only to discover that what you thought was sweet turns out to be sour, turns out to be bitter. This happened at the very beginning. Satan came to, came to Eve and said, listen, God won't let you eat from the trees of the garden. All the trees are off limits to you. He ends up quoting the law of God to her, but he does it in a way that denies the goodness of God. God's holding out on you. <laughs> this is the best tree in the garden. That's exactly what sin still does. It deceives us. Eve saw the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. Fourthly, sin deceives us, and this is huge by downplaying and denying the consequences of sin. Downplaying and denying the consequences of sin. Sin comes to you and says, yep, here's what God says, but guess what? You're going to be the exception. Not going to happen to you. You're okay. You and God are okay, and, and he's going to overlook that in your case. This, this is from the very beginning. The serpent said to Eve, he quotes the commandment, and he says, you will what? not surely die. It's not going to happen to you. You're going to be the exception. And this is still what sin does. And this is what it's doing to millions of people across our country today. They think they can live in a life of sin and it's going to be okay. They're going to be the exception. God isn't going to bring the consequences of their sin to bear. They're not going to face eternal punishment. It's going to be somebody else because they and God are close. This is what sin always does. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, can I just tell you lovingly, you will not be the exception. That sin lying to you, deceiving you. Sin deceived Paul, and what was the result? Notice verse 11. For sin taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Sin had promised life through keeping the law, but sin deceived Paul and it produced death instead. This is so insightful. We have seen the real purpose of the law for unbelievers in verse 7, and we've seen the real cause for our sin 
It's our own inherent sinfulness in verses 8 through 11 as Paul has traced that process. This is what happened to you. If you're in Christ, then this is your spiritual biography. This is the path the Spirit took you down before you came to Christ. It may not have been the 10th commandment. It may have been some other sin that he brought the weight of conviction to bear. But there was a time when you were alive and you thought everything was great between you and God and you didn't really see the prevalence of sin in your life. But if you're a Christian, there was a day when the law came, when the commandment came and you got it and it gripped you and you understood the terrible state you were in. Now Paul finishes his answer to this objection by affirming the real character of God's law. We've seen the real purpose of the law for unbelievers, the real cause for our sin, which is our own inherent sinfulness. And now he ends by affirming the real character of God's law in verse 12. Notice, so then, here's the logical conclusion. The law is holy. Remember, Paul's opponents had objected to his gospel, arguing that his teaching led to the conclusion that the law, verse 7, is sin. Here in verse 12, Paul responds to that definitively and finally. He says, not only is God's moral law not sin, it's holy. It's a perfect reflection of God's holy character. And the essence of God's law is this, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's law is completely without any taint or shadow of sin in its entirety. And then Paul adds in verse 12, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Not only is the entire law holy, but every commandment is also holy, including the tenth commandment that aroused Paul's sinful passions and produced in him coveting of every kind. It is holy. The problem isn't the command. And he adds, the commandment is righteous. Everything God demands of you and me is right and fair. There's nothing God demands of us that isn't right and fair. It's holy and it's just. And when we break God's law, the penalty that it calls for is also just and right. And then he adds in verse 12, the commandment is also good. The law is intended for our benefit. Listen, there isn't a single command that God has laid upon us that isn't for our good. God, our creator, knows what makes life thrive, what makes for flourishing in humanity, and all of his commandments are good. They're not intended to hurt you, to, to cut you out from something good. They're intended to promote your good. So when Paul said in verse 5 that the law aroused our sinful passions, he's not blaming the law. He says the problem isn't the law. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is our own inherent sinfulness. It's our sin. Now, there are a couple of absolutely critical applications of these verses for us here today. Let me make them briefly as we close our time. First of all, if you have never died to your self-confidence and self-righteousness, let me say that again, if you have never died, as Paul did here, to your self-righteousness and self-confidence, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. It's because you have never come to truly understand what God demands of us. 
Because the only way that you can conclude that you are okay based on your own efforts before God is that you have utterly, completely, tragically misunderstood the law of God, just like Paul did. Because the law of God was never intended as the means of your salvation. It was intended instead to bring you to the end of yourself. It was to kill your self-confidence, to kill your self-righteousness. In the words of Paul here in Romans 7, to kill you and to drive you to Jesus Christ and to His gospel as your only hope of eternal life. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Caught in the Act. Tom will continue with part five on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Mm-hmm.